So before we jump into Kings and Kingdoms, I want to give you a few numbers to look at this morning, okay? So 2019, 3,000, 4,500. You want to take some guesses at what those numbers mean? 2019, what do you think that means? It's a year, of course, the year 2019, and there I go again, (laughs) unable to do a clicker. So in 2019, in America, 3,000 new churches were planted. That's really cool. Like, that is super exciting. And in 2019 in America, 4,500 churches closed. So we are closing churches at 50% faster than we are starting them. That's the first year that happened. And that is pre-pandemic. We don't have the numbers yet from the pandemic. Uh, all the various denominations and church planning organizations, it takes a while to put all this together. The guy who shared this with us this past week is from the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. And he does, he does know the numbers at least for his own organization. He said, in 2019, we planted 50 churches. And in 2022, last year, we planted 15. And we know that the churches that closed, that that accelerated over the pandemic. Like right now, it's three to two closing to opening. Probably it's more like five or six to one closing to opening since the pandemic. Um, Jesus tells this story. He says, imagine that you take a steak, right? Take this beautiful piece of meat, take it out, set it on your counter and come back a week later. What's What's that steak like? It's gone bad because that's what happens in the world when you leave things out. It goes bad. Jesus says, you, meaning us, his followers, you are salt. You are supposed to preserve the meat. You're supposed to be in there holding everything together. And as we close churches at an enormous rate, is it any wonder that our world is going crazy? That that we're losing all of our moorings as churches close and churches close and churches close and churches close. Paul, the apostle, will say in Romans 10 that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all you have to do. Just call, just ask. He'll say yes. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he goes on to say, but how can people call on someone that they don't believe in? And how is anybody going to believe in this God that they've never even heard of? And how is anybody going to hear about him unless someone tells them. And how is someone going to go tell them unless they're sent? And brothers and sisters, those last two, those are on us. Like those first couple things, hearing and believing, everyone on the planet's got to do that for themselves. You can't do that for anyone else. You can't hear for someone else. You can't believe for someone else. But it's our job to send and it's our job to speak. And one of the ways we do that, one of the main ways we do that is churches. That, that's how God has set it up that we, we establish churches, that churches preach the gospel. That this is how God has set up for people to go, to be sent, to speak. Is it any wonder our world is losing its mind when the people who are supposed to be preserving it are getting smaller and smaller and more and more insulated and trying to protect ourselves as we see more and more things closing and we're more and more like, ah, that, that is what we are called to. So let me give you another number, okay? Today, this morning, February 19th, 2023, this is what we owe on the mortgage. 3,600, 
3,065, 365,000? I'm numerically challenged as well. If it was in Hebrew, I could read it, no problem. 365,406.37. We give a very nice bank, full of very nice people, $13,000 a month, right? About nine of that or so is, is paying off what we owe them, and the other four is for the privilege of giving them the money. We gotta pay that off. That's the next thing for us. If we're gonna plant churches, we're gonna be involved in planting churches. If we're gonna send out people, we're gonna commission Crystal and Mateo. We're gonna send them out. Folks, we don't support them financially regularly. We give them gifts as we have extra, but we cannot commit to supporting them regularly because we are committed to supporting the bank. Because we made an agreement, we signed, we, we, we have to honor it. This is what we owe the bank every, this is what we owe them for the rest of, we finish that off, we're done. Oh. We gotta pay this off, we gotta, get, we gotta get this done. There is work to be done. Churches, 4,000 churches closed in a year. Do the math, figure out how many a day that is. And that number is only bigger since COVID. This is the next right thing for our church to do. So, you know, every church needs a cool tagline, preferably in another language, right? Sunel dukumen, the like Greek, the Greek of the Bible, we expect good together. Or if you're more a Roman guy, you know, the Greeks, they were into art and culture. The Romans, man, they were into swords and shields and you will do what we say. If you're more a Roman guy, go with Latin. Hypoteco delenda est, the mortgage must be destroyed. Either one works for me, but we gotta get rid of this. We got to get rid of that and we got to start plowing this money back into ministry because wow, there is ministry to be done. Our world is rushing towards hell. Now, we can't stop them because God is far more committed to free will than I am. God is so committed to letting people choose on their own. He could appear in his glory and he would just overwhelm everyone. In the scriptures, when God shows up, guess when angels show up who aren't anywhere near God, everybody's just like kaboom on their face. He could show up in his glory and everyone would believe, but he's not gonna overwhelm people. He's not like that. It's your choice, God says, always. We can't stop our world from rushing to hell, but gosh, we have to at least tell them. They have to at least have the opportunity. How can anyone believe in a God that they've never heard of? How are they gonna hear about him unless someone tells him? And we sang that song, you know, I, I met, met him on, on a road. I met a man that I didn't know. And he told me that I am not alone. And yet in reality, I know of one person in my life that I believe Jesus has appeared to himself and spoken to them and they became a Christian. And every other Christian, I millions out there, someone told them. That's how they met a man they didn't know. Someone told them about him. We got work to do. And to do that work, we got to do this first. So that's my encouragement. You've heard about all these different ministries we are involved in, right? The day we pay off the mortgage, we double those. We give away 10% of our income right now. We give away 20 when that's done. <laughs> And that still leaves us like seven or $8,000 a month to figure out what we're gonna do. Don't worry, I have plans. Absolutely, I have plans for that money. So, but this is the next right thing for our church to do. And so, hey, 
whatever God says to you about however you should be involved, however you have been involved, thank you. It was a couple million you know, a few years ago. We have knocked down a ton of it. This is the year to knock down the rest. This is the year to get rid of the rest. So, all right, moving on. Back to our regularly scheduled sermon. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to finish up our looking at the kings, our asking ourselves, what does it look like for us to be more committed to Christ this year than it was last year? And so we're going to look at King Uzziah. He is the son of the king we looked at last week, Amaziah, who in turn was the son of the king we looked at, Joash, the week before that. So read along with me chapter 26 of 2 Chronicles about King Uzziah. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Aloth and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabneth, and Ashdod. Then he rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs, who lived in Gerbal and against the Munites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt, because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plains. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their number, as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armors, bows, and slingstones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was earnest, eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign, from beginning to end, are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and would bury near them in a cemetery that belonged to the king's. For the people said he had leprosy, and Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. One of the reasons we're ending on Uzziah is because really there's nothing new in his story. All these things that we've seen before, 
They're, they're all happening in his life. He is a young man who sets his heart on following God. And we've talked about that before. What, what does it mean for us to set our hearts on Christ this year, to be more committed to him? He certainly is trying to be more committed to God than his father was, his father who turned away and worshiped idols in the second half of his life. Uzziah, we're told, he has good advisors. Verse 5 says he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. He's listening to wise counsel, and he's prospering. As long as he sought the Lord, we're told, God gave him success. He is doing what he's supposed to be doing. We've seen this in many other kings. And He's being a good king. I mean, look at how long we get just, in my Bible, it's four paragraphs, I don't know about yours, of this detail of all the things that he's doing to protect his country. The army, the defenses, the the machines, all the things he provides, the weapons. Like, he's being a good king. He's doing what he's been called to do. And unfortunately, we've also seen the second half of his life, where he becomes powerful, he becomes proud, and he does what is wrong. He does what is forbidden. You know, some of the guys that we've seen that do wrong, wow. I mean, they, they do wrong. They, there's no doubt about it. Idolatry, murder, corruption, just all these terrible things that they do. Some of the guys, they're not doing wrong like that. They're not worshiping other gods. Remember Asa? He uses bribery to stop a war. But God rebukes him for not consulting God about it, for just going out and doing it. Instead of coming to God, remember we talked about how war is the province of God, not of kings. Instead of going to God and asking for advice, hey, which may have been, yes, yeah, and to bribe the king Ahab. Who knows what God would have said? He didn't do it, so we don't know. But instead of consulting God as he was supposed to, he didn't. And, and so God rebukes him for that. Uzziah, he's not going to worship another god. He's not setting up an an idol in the temple to worship. He wants to worship Jehovah, his God. He he wants to worship Jehovah in ways that he's not been able to worship him before. I mean, we don't know his heart and his mind, but I put myself in his place to try and understand what he's been like all of these years. We're, We're not told here, but other sources tell us this is about 10 years before the end of his reign, and he ruled over 50 years. So he's been king for like 40 years at this point when he does this. I think he wants to worship God. And he's not allowed to do this. Only the priests are allowed to offer incense. But, but he wants to. And so he goes in and he does it. And it's forbidden. You know, th- this is before Jesus. So we have the temple. This is before Christ has come and dealt with our sin. There is a gap between men and God. And so you can't just come to God in this age. A person can't just show up. We've read that many times. The people continue to sacrifice in the high places. They're setting up their own altars and making their own sacrifices. And God's like, no, you can't just show up and do what you want. Because there's a huge gulf between God and man. Jesus hasn't come. And so in the middle, you've got the priests. The priests are special people. They're all descended from Aaron, the brother of Moses, one single guy. You had to trace your heritage back to Aaron to be a priest. They have special clothes. They take special baths. They eat special food in a special place. They are, the theological term is, consecrated, set apart. They're different because men can't approach God. So there has to be this class of people that stands between them. And wow, they have these regimented lives, special clothes, 
special baths, special food, special place, special duties. They're not like everybody else. It's an object lesson that, that there is this gap between us and God. If you bring your sacrifice to the temple, you have to give it to a priest. If, if it's an animal, you can't kill the animal. If it's grain, you can't burn the grain. If it's incense, you can't offer the incense. You have to give it to a priest. And the priest goes and does it for you because there's a gap between God and men. You can't just go and do this. Uzziah, I think, doesn't want that gap anymore. He wants to be the one to offer the incense. He wants to be the one to go and do this. The problem is it's forbidden because he didn't take the special bath and he doesn't wear the special clothes and he doesn't eat the special food in the special place. And even if he did all of that, Aaron is not his great, 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 great ancestor. David is. The kings come through the line of David. The priests come through the line of Aaron. He can never be a priest. He can never offer incense to God. He shouldn't even be in the room. The room where that altar is, the altar of incense, it's a rule. Every day you have to burn incense on this altar. Only a priest can go in that room. Nobody else, not even a Levite, not even the priest's relatives, only a priest. When we lived in Africa, my sister used to send us VCR tapes. Remember VCR tapes? You could put six hours of TV on a VCR tape. And so she'd stick one of those in, set it for the long play six hours. She'd turn it to some kid's channel like Nickelodeon or PBS or something and just get six hours of kids programming and mail it to us. So it was great. You know, that's like 12 programs at half an hour. We could pop it in, watch shows. Anybody remember the show Blue's Clues? Remember how Blue's Clues always ended? I don't know if it's still going or not. At the time, I think the, the host's name was Steve. Steve would always end the show the same way. It's like, remember, you can be anything that you want to be. And I always appreciated that because the culture we lived in was fatalistic. People believed that your life was set from birth. You really had no agency. You had no control. Where you were born is where you were going to die. What you were born into is what you were going to do. Your, your life was governed by the stars. It was governed by the spirits. You didn't have control of your own life. And I so appreciated that our culture taught kids, no, you absolutely have control. You can do what you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. And the only problem with that is it's a lie. It's a huge lie. You cannot be anything you want to be. You can't be a fraction of what you want to be. It's impossible. As tens of thousands of kids find out every year that they're not going to play professional sports. It, it just, they can't. They don't have it. It's not possible. We are creatures. We're not the creator. The creator is infinite. The creator is boundless. The creator can do what he wants. Okay, theologically, that's not actually a true statement because he is, in fact, bound by his own character. But work with me on the analogy. The creator is boundless and can do what he wants. We are creatures. We are finite. We are limited. We are bounded. No matter how much we want some things, they are not given to us. No matter how much we believe, no matter how hard we work. Remember the old, the knights in the medieval tales? I shall slay the dragon for my arm is strong and my heart is pure. It doesn't matter how strong Uzziah's arm is, and it doesn't matter how pure his heart is. Maybe his motives are, are gold. Maybe he so sincerely wants to be closer to his God. I don't know. Maybe he's a selfish jerk who just wants to take over everybody's job. The scripture doesn't tell us. But either way, he can't have it. 
because God has bound him. He is the king. He is the son of David. He has the responsibilities of the king. Do you notice what he spends all his time on in this passage? The military, the defenses of the city, the army, the weapons, the, the siege warfare. This is in the mid-700s BC. The Assyrian Empire is on the rampage. And it will only be a couple more generations when they come plowing into Judah under one of his grandson or great-grandson or something, Hezekiah. It's not that many years coming before he's going to need all that stuff. His job is the military. What does he love? What does it say he cares about? Verse 10. Hezekiah built tower, Hezekiah, uh, Uzziah built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plains. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. This guy loved the soil. He loved animals. He's a farmer by heart. But that is not what God gave him to do. That is not the life God gave him. The life God gave him was to be a soldier was to lead his army in war against the Philistines, the Amorites, the Munites, all of these countries around him who saw the weakness of his father and were pressing in and looking to start snatching up areas. And his job, this, this guy that it looks, that he loved the soil, but he did not spend his days with his animals. He did not spend the days in his fields. He had other people who did that for him because his job was to lead the army. His job was to be a warrior. That is what the Lord gave him. That is how the Lord constrained him. That was his role and that was his job. And at some point it wasn't enough and he didn't like it and he wanted something else. And so he tried to take it and it went badly for him. He's leprous. Notice what it says at the end. He never entered the temple again. He went from being a worshiper in the temple with the priests, doing all their priestly duty. He couldn't, he couldn't come here to God, but he could come this close to God. And the priests were in the gap. And he never is allowed to go to the temple again. Because he wouldn't accept what God had given him, where God had put him, what he was supposed to do. As we are talking about 2023, being committed to Christ, and wow, we've talked about a lot of stuff. You know, we've talked about having to be diligent and hard work, right? I want to follow God, and that means nothing bad ever happens. I have no battles. I have no struggles. I follow God. We say that all the time, right? Why did you let this happen, God? And yet we've seen over and over again, these kings have to fight. Uzziah, he has to go to war with the Philistines. He has to fight them. I want following God to be, oh, the Philistines just magically melt into the background. They could. It rarely works that way. The world is dreadfully fallen. Following God, we, I've said this to you many times, if you follow God, you will absolutely prosper, but God decides what prosper means. Prosper doesn't necessarily mean rich, powerful, famous, whatever. He, he prospered. He still had to fight the Philistines, but God helped him. He prospered in that battle 
We've looked at all of these kings, all the things that they were called to. Hezekiah's called to the, bring the Passover and pull people back to God. And, and Joash in his life was called to rebuild the temple, which has fallen into disuse. Uzziah's called to war. He's called to the military, to, to strengthen a city for, for an army, an enemy that is coming. And Judah, I think I've told you, Judah's the only, the city of Jerusalem's the only city we know of in history that the Assyrians were, they fought, they lost, and they never came back and took it over again. And if you look at maps of their territory versus their vassal, their territories all along the Mideast, and there's this little circle around Jerusalem, because they never conquered Jerusalem. He is preparing for a war that is coming. But what he loved was the soil. 2023, I want you to ask yourself, where has God put you? Like we're talking about being more committed to Christ and following him. Where? Where has God placed you? Where has God given you authority? Where has God called you to work? Please understand, I'm not saying what do you love doing. Right? That would be great. It would be great if, if the world was so set up such that we all always did everything we love doing. But as you don't have to look very far to notice, the world's a mess the world is dreadfully fallen. We will start talking about that next week. Things are going wrong, badly wrong, and have been since Adam. This is not, I think, what Uzziah loved. It's what he was called to. What has God called you to? And where has God constrained you? Like, like where's the box God has put around you? Because, you know, there's lots of things where you do have total freedom to choose what you want. You don't like your job? Get another job. There's nothing in Christianity that says you must have this job. You must work for this person. If God hasn't said to you, I want you doing this, if you don't like your job, find another job. You don't like your spouse? That one's harder. Because you've been constrained. That's not an option. Go find another spouse is not an option if you hold to this book. If you hold to the God that wrote these scriptures. There's a wedding here yesterday. I really liked the vows. They wrote their own vows and they incorporated, they incorporated scripture. And so the husband vowed to love his wife like Christ loved the church and give himself up for her. Because gentlemen, that's what we have vowed to do. We have vowed to die for our wives, to give up our lives for the good of our wives. That is how God has constrained us. She vowed to be the voice of godly wisdom to you because that's one of the roles scripture says of wives is to speak, is to be wisdom, lady wisdom, speak wisdom to their husbands. Because, gentlemen, let's face it, don't we need that a lot of times? Don't we need somebody to come and say, I don't think that's a good idea, dear. No. Like, they're vowing what Scripture says. She has been constrained. That's what she's called to do. That's what she has to do. That's where God has put her. And since they stood right here and made those vows before people, then that's where God has put them. Those, all of us who are married, we are constrained in that way. Where has God placed you? Where has he given you authority? Asa, to Asa, Uzziah, I got too many kings in my head. Uzziah, he has authority in the military. That's where God has placed him. That's where he's supposed to be spending his time and his energy and he's doing it and he's doing it well and he's successful. Again, I don't think he loved it. I mean, I think the, the Quran, the guy who writes this, points out to us. What he actually loved was farming. That's why that, that verse is there. But what he had to do was the military. Where, where has God 
put you, given you authority, told you to work, said, yes, th this is what I want you to be doing right now in life. And where has God said, no, don't do that. No, that's not for you. No, I'm not calling you that. I mean, you can either be really upset about that or that can be really freeing. Nope, I'm not called to that. Nope, that's not where God has me working. In 2023, as we are committing ourselves to Christ, as we are saying we want to follow hard after Jesus this year, what does that mean? Where is God calling you to do that? Where has he put you and given you authority like he did Uzziah? And where has he said to you, this far, no farther? This is your sphere. That's not your sphere. That's not your sphere. That's not your sphere. That is, like this. This is where I have you. This is where you need to work. Because you need to know that so you can do it. Teaching? I like teaching. It is not a hardship for me to spend hours each week studying the scripture. I, I, I will be at Crema and tell, at the coffee shop I hang out with and said, you know, like, can you believe they pay me for this? They pay me to hang out and read my Bible and study and read commentaries and history and things like, this is great, right? Talking about money and mortgages? Yeah, no, uh-uh, that's not so great. <laughs> that's not my idea of a good time. But that's my job. That's what I'm called to. That's what God has called our church to do. And so that is for me to stand up here and tell you and to keep telling you until we get it done. I don't love it, honestly. I'd much rather have spent, you know, I cut out 10 minutes of this sermon so I could do 10 minutes of that at the beginning. I would much rather have told you all sorts of cool things about the Hebrew words in this passage. But that's not my job this morning. Where has God put you? And where has God not? Where has God given you authority? And where has he constrained you? You know, there's folks watching us now when it, when it goes up later because God has constrained them by sickness. They can't be here. They wish they could. We have prayed over and over again for God to heal them and bring them back to us. And at least for right now, the Lord says no. They're constrained. And so that's what they have to do. Where? Has God placed you? Where has God constrained you? So I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us. I'm going to ask him to speak to us and here now as I'm praying, ask him to speak to us as we take communion, ask him to speak to us through his spirit, as we sing songs, as we commission the Crystal and Mateo, as we send them out. Like, what's God calling you to in 2023? If you're going to follow hard after him, where? Where does he want you to be involved in his kingdom? So pray with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for recording all of these stories. Again, if I was Uzziah, I would so much rather the story ended before we got to verse 16. I would rather just be remembered as having done all these good things. But, but you didn't. You recorded all of Uzziah's good and all the ways he prospered for following you, and you recorded all the ways he didn't. I so appreciate that you are brutally honest about your people. That the scriptures are brutally honest about who we are and what we're like. Thank you. Lord, I, 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 I feel it in me, and I'm sure many of my brothers and sisters feel it in you. I feel constrained. I want to be able to do things that you've not given me to do. I want the sorts of things that Uzziah wanted. But Jesus, I pray for us that you would be very clear to us individually, each of us, within our families, 
within our, our workspaces and our relationships here as the church, as Dunwoody Community Church, Holy Spirit, be clear to us about what you've called us to, where you have placed us and where you have not, where you want us to be at work, to work hard, just like Uzziah worked hard on his military. He worked hard at war because you called him to that. And where have you not called us to? We, we, Uzziah was not called to the fields. He was not called to animal husbandry or livestock or farming or any of those things. He, he didn't live in that time. Jesus, I pray for us, for me and my brothers and sisters here. What, what are you calling us to in 2023? What does it look like for us? Where do we follow hard after you? And, and where have you constrained us and said, no, that is not for you. That is not something I want you doing. That's not a place I want you spending your time and your energy. Oh, Lord, remember. Remember how many of these kings. Pride has been their downfall. Jesus, keep us from being proud. Keep us from going beyond what you have called us to. Be gracious to us. For we are desperately in need of your graciousness. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Always. We are your people. We pray in your name. Amen.